0: I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and be turning with me to Mark chapter number eight. Mark chapter number eight. Mark's Gospel, chapter number eight. Mark's Gospel, chapter number eight, chapter number eight and verse number 34. Mark 8, and verse number 34. We'll read down to the end of the chapter. Mark 8 and verse number 34. And when He had called the people unto Him, with His disciples also, He said unto them, Whosoever will come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, and follow Me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospels the same shall save it for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul what shall a man give in exchange for his soul whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words and this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the son of man be ashamed and He cometh in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. Amen. God will bless His Word to our hearts. Let's pray once again. Our Father in heaven, we come before Thee again because we need Thy help. God, we are mindful of the words of the hymn. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. And God, how true that is. God, I am nothing. I am least than nothing. And God, I pray that Thou wouldst take this clay vessel and fill it, and God, that You would use me to be a mouthpiece for Thee, O God, today, that I would speak forth the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. God, how we pray that You would come and minister to our hearts. God, both preacher and hearer, need the anointing of the Spirit alike, to preach the Word with power, and to hear the Word attentive to the voice of the Spirit of the Lord. And how, God, we pray today that, God, that You would do such a work in our hearts, and that, God, that You would minister to us and give us what we need today. We ask it all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to minister particularly this morning on verse number 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What a tragic statement this is. Sitting before your eyes today is a question of eternal consequence. What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? Here Christ is going beyond the minds of His hearers and He is reaching forward as He can, opening up the chest and going straight for the heart. Jesus is aiming for the hearts of His people, and that is what I seek to do here today. More than ever, this question needs to be asked in the materialistic, greedy, and pleasure-seeking world that we live in. Since I moved to Greenville, and I was no longer pastoring full-time... I had to acquire a job, and so I began, I went through my CDL licensing, and now I'm a school bus driver, which is very interesting in the COVID uh, predicament that we are in today. But I was sitting at the bus center, and this young gentleman uh, came in, and he was speaking to a couple people around me. And he is not only driving school bus, but he said he has a uh, yard care business and he's going to start another business. And he said, I'm just following the money and following all my dreams. And I thought, this is a man that is seeking to acquire all the world and has not a single care in his heart about his soul. And this is the world that we live in today. You work with people, no doubt. You have neighbors uh, that are the exact same. They are materialistic. They are greedy. They are pleasure seeking. They care nothing for the things of Christ other than their new car, their new home, all the things of this world. And they have not a single care in the world about their soul. And today Jesus is addressing the folly of living for this life and and failing to prepare for the next life. What a terrible thing it is. The temporal versus the eternal. I ask you is this maybe you today? Maybe you that are listening, is this you today? Are you following the money or are you following Christ? Are you wrapped up in the things of the world or are you wrapped up in Christ? Are you indulging in the pleasures of this world or have you found the true pleasure that comes from being in Jesus Christ? The thought that I want to thrust upon you today, the message today is this, the tragedy of gaining the world and forfeiting eternity. And this is where many people find themselves today. They desire to attain all the world, and yet die and lose their soul. I want you to notice three things with me in our text. In verse number 36, there is the attainment of the world. Number two, there is the forfeiting of the soul. And number three, we find how to avoid forfeiting the soul. Number one, the attainment of the world. What should it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The word here for world is not speaking about the speck of uh, dust that you and I live in in this mass universe. Not speaking about this sphere of dirt that you and I live on. But when he speaks here of gaining or acquiring the world, he's speaking about earthly goods, endowments, and riches, and advantages, and pleasures, which seduce us from God, and cause us to lose focus from Jesus Christ. And this is the world that He is speaking of, this world system and its earthly goods, riches, and pleasures. And today there is no doubt a very strong desire. Within our hearts and within our own flesh and within the lost, there is a strong allurement. There is a strong attraction and desire for the things of the world. We see this all the time. You and I are constantly bombarded by the things of the world in one way or the other. Maybe it's on television with television commercials. Maybe it's scrolling on your smartphone through Facebook and seeing all the ads that they know how to customize because they know everything about you. And they just get all the right ads, the Internet ads. There's constant allurement and attraction and desire for the things of the world to distract you from Jesus Christ. Satan has a way of bedazzling. He has a way of seducing his people to follow the hollow, frail, and fleeting riches and pleasures of this world. Satan has a way of making what the world sees as important as the entire ambition of life. Let me give you an example. I remember listening to the late Dr. Adrian Rogers. And Dr. Rogers was one time giving an illustration at the church he pastored in Florida... And he said that it was at the time there was a beer company that had a slogan that said the finest product of the brewer's art. And he said that was a slogan going around through Florida. And he said that they put up a large picture uh, painting in their church parking lot. And he said, a man in the church that was a painter painted a picture of a drunk passed out in his own vomit, lying in the vomit in a street alley. And it was posted in their parking lot, and it said, the finished product of the brewer's art. Now, Satan is very good at only painting half the picture. He makes everything look so good. And Dr. Rogers went on to say, he said, that the man Mr. Brewer called him himself, and he said, Dr. Rogers, he said, I demand of you that you tear down that sign. It is discriminating against my product. And he said, I tell you what, when you tear down your signs, I'll tear down my sign. You see, Satan is very good at only painting half the picture. He bedazzles us with the things of the world. Oh, you can get the promotion. but. Guess what? When you get the promotion, you won't be able to be at church on Sunday anymore. You won't be able to give your time to the things of the Lord. Satan has a way of bedazzling and getting us and tripping us up with the ambitions of this life. The world system is ever pushing these values upon men. The values of the world. Earthly goods, riches, and pleasures. I remember when I was in high school, I had a history teacher was an excellent history teacher, but very liberal. And I remember when I told him that God had called me to preach, and I was going to Bible college, we were all sitting in a room, and he was asking everyone what we were doing after we graduated high school. And I told them that I'm going to Bible college because God had called me to preach, and I never have forgotten his words. He said to me this, John, do not waste your life and do something like that. Do something with your life worthwhile. You know what that was? That was a little bait light out in front of me from Satan. Don't serve the Lord. Do something else with your life. And Satan is good today. The world is good today with putting baits and allurements before you to draw you away from Jesus Christ. Your flesh and my flesh is ever craving the temporary riches and the pleasures of this world. And now let me say this. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with having fine cars and fine buildings as long as they do not have you. There's nothing sinful about being wealthy. God help us, we need wealthy people in the work of the Lord. And I know many of them. At a church I served at in Louisiana, a man that essentially sustained the whole entire church budget and financed missions all around the world. He was very wealthy and he put his money to good use. But that is very rare many times. Jesus spoke about the danger of riches. Earthly goods have a way of distracting us from God. I know, and it might be the same here in South Carolina. I've only been here for a few uh, months. But I know being in Maine, being in Louisiana for the time I've been, I know that hunting is big. It might be like that around here. But I knew people that had all their earthly goods, they had all their firearms, they had all their deer stands, and they would forsake the house of the God in order to go to their deer stand and go hunting instead. They had all the toys, and they were distracted from God because of the things that they had. They had all the riches, and many times they had not a need of God. This reminds me of... The man we read of in Luke chapter number 12. I want you to turn there with me. The Luke chapter number 12. Here in this passage in Luke chapter number 12 we find a man that had everything in the world but yet he died and lost his soul. In Luke chapter number 12 in verse 16 to verse number 21 we read about that rich man. We read in verse 16, "...the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully..." Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Here was a man that had everything. He had all the goods. He had all the wealth. He was retiring early. And God said, Thou fool, this day thy life shall be required of thee. Here was a man that had the world and lost his soul. What about you today? He said, Well, Pastor, it's likely we're all saved. I only know that I'm saved. I don't know about your heart. But I know that it's one thing is good for us to hear the gospel many times. I just want to put this little plug in just for a moment. Don't ever get over the gospel. Don't get over the fact that God saved you from your sin. I always rejoice when I get to hear the gospel preached because it reminds me of the depths of sin that God brought me out of and could have, uh, that God saved me from. There are earthly goods and endowments and riches. There is the advantage that distorts our understanding of our relation with God. The world and Satan and our flesh will many times say, well, you're advantaged. You say, well, pastor, what do you mean by that? The Jews thought that they had an advantage in Romans 3 and verse number 1. But Paul says, what advantage hath the Jew? The Jew thought that they were right with God because they were raised, we're the children of Abraham. We've been circumcised. We're separated. We keep all the laws. We're God's people. But God said in Romans 9 and verse number 6, they are not all Israel which say they are Israel. Just because you come from a family background, just because you were born into a Christian home, or just because your mother and father are Christian or your grandparents are Christian or you've been a Baptist or a Presbyterian or whatever. All your, all your lines goes back millennia, as it were, back in being believers. It doesn't matter. You need to have a personal relationship and encounter with Jesus Christ. You need to know Christ as your Savior, not your parents. They can't do that for you. Pleasure will blind you from God as well. So what about you today? Are your possessions like this rich man that we just read about distracting you from your need of Christ? Maybe you're a believer and you're backslid a little bit and you're not where you need to be. Are your possessions distracting you from your relationship to Christ? I remember being in Mississippi when I was in Bible College and we were door knocking in a community, inviting people to church. I remember the pastor took us to this very wealthy area in Laurel, Mississippi where I lived at. And I remember knocking on those doors, these big elaborate houses, and they had all their boats and fancy cars and everything. And I remember knocking on one person's door and them telling me this, Young man, why would I need what you're trying to tell me about? I have everything that I need. I have my house I have my cars, I have my boats, I have my camp, I have everything. I don't need your Jesus. I have everything. That is the danger of gaining the whole world and yet losing one's soul. My friend, you must beware. Are your possessions distracting you from your need of Christ? Are you trusting in your riches to merit you heaven? Proverbs says, riches do not profit on the day of wrath. It doesn't matter whether you have a penny to your name when you die or whether you have a million dollars in your bank account, you still will meet the very same God. And it doesn't matter how much money you have, you will give an account before Him. And the only thing that will matter in this life is what you have done with Christ and what you have done for Christ. That's the only thing that will matter at the end of the day. Are you trusting the fact that since you have a Christian heritage, everything is okay with you and God? Have you allowed immorality, greed, and recreation to blind you from your need of the Lord? This is the things of the world, gaining the whole world and yet losing one's soul. Or you could translate it this way. What should it help a man if he should acquire the whole world and forfeit his own soul? This is a tragedy of gaining the world and forfeiting eternity. Today God calls you away from the world... He is calling you and I away from it as believers. He's calling unbelievers away from the world. He says in 1 John 2.15, "...Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for the the things of the world will pass away, but they that do the will of God will live forever." Romans 12.2 says, "...Be not conformed to this world. Do not be squeezed and placed in conformity to this world." God wants you to be out of this world. God says that you are peculiar people. You're strange people. Do you realize that as a child of God today? As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are strange. And so you might as well start acting like it. We are strange, peculiar people. People think we are weird, strange creatures. And we are because we've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And they don't understand us. And I understand why. But God has called us to away from this world, and He has called us to live unto Christ. For the believer, He says to you today, let us go forth, therefore unto Him without the camp, bearing His reproach. This is what separation is. It is not separation from all these things. You know, many of us no doubt grew up in a fundamentalist background, and we are fundamentalist. But no doubt you heard, well, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't, 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 don't. But it's not about don't, 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 don't. It is about being separated unto a person. And when you have gone unto Christ, and you are separated unto Christ, everything else falls into place. Jesus has called you to come to Him. Come away, my beloved, the Song of Solomon said, and come to me. And this is what Jesus is saying to you and to me today. So there is the attainment of the world, the attraction of the world. And what happens when a person gets sucked into the world? When they get sucked into the pleasures of this world. When they get sucked into the enjoyments of this world. When they get sucked into all these things of the world. The Bible says, what profit is it if you forfeit your soul? That's my second point I want to bring you to now. The forfeiting of the soul. Under that I want to explain to you the danger of living in this world and forfeiting your soul. The word to lose here simply means to forfeit his life. And the word soul is actually the same word that is translated life throughout this passage. It's the very same Greek word. And so when you read the word life and soul, it's the very same Greek word. So what he is saying is this, what help does it do? If you were to acquire this whole world and yet forfeit your eternal life, This is what a person really is doing. If they gain the whole world and they live for this world and live for the here and the now, with no thought of the hereafter, what they are doing is forfeiting their eternal soul, forfeiting their eternal life. The one who lives entirely for this world and its pleasures does so at the expense of their soul. Robert Stein said this, the reason why one should be willing to lose one's life it's because of the surpassing worth of gaining eternal life. God is calling you away from the life that you want to live. And He's calling you unto the life that Christ wants to live through you. You must lose your life in order to gain it. You must leave all the things and thoughts and ambitions that you have behind. And you must live for Christ. Paul said, it is no longer I that lives. But it is Christ that lives in me. He said, but yet I am living. I don't understand it entirely. I'm alive, but it is Christ that's living through me. And you're the same today if you're a believer. You're alive, but yet you are dead because it is Christ that lives through you. He, You are now the hands of Christ. You are now the feet of Christ. You are now the mouth of Christ. You are now the eyes of Christ. You are now the ears of Christ. And you now live to serve Him with all your heart, soul, and mind. Stein goes on to say this is more valuable than possessing the whole world. To acquire all the world and yet lose one's life, that is not acquire eternal salvation, is a terrible loss. It is a terrible thing for one to gain everything and yet lose eternity. The soul is immortal and it will exist eternally after death. It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. And when a person dies they will spend eternity somewhere. Somewhere forever. And this is why you and I have a responsibility, and we'll get to it in a moment, of sharing the gospel. Riches, pleasures, and earthly goods are temporal, and they will not follow you after death. It is a fool who lives for the temporal, that lives for the temporal, and never gives a thought to the eternal. Is this you today? Is your focus on everything material and pleasurable? The day will come when the Lord will say this thy day. This day thy soul will be required of you. You Do not forfeit your eternal life on the altar of this world. There also is a responsibility to your own soul. If your soul be lost it is your own losing. This is something I want you to understand. Now don't misunderstand me, I am a firm believer in election, in predestination, in the doctrines of grace. But also I am not, I do not believe in the doctrine that is known as double predestination. That God predestined people to hell just as He predestined people to heaven. I believe the Bible clearly teaches he predestined people to heaven. But when man goes to hell, he goes to hell out of his own choosing. He willingly rejects God, and he will have no excuse on the day of judgment when he stands before a holy God. If your soul be lost, it is your own losing. Man is responsible and accountable before God. At the end of the day you will not be able to point the finger at God and bring any accusation against Him. Hosea said this in Hosea 13, 9, "O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. And this is what a person does when they gain all the world and they desire all the things of the world, the pleasure, the earthly goods, the endowments, the advantages, the pleasures. When they have all of that what are they doing? They are destroying themselves. But I love what Hosea said, "...but in me is thine help." Matthew Henry said, "...the man loses his own soul, for he does that which is certainly destroying to it, and neglects that which would alone be saving. The sinner dies because he will die, and his blood is upon his own head. If a person dies in their sin, they die in their own sin, and they are accountable for their own soul before God." God did not make them do that. They willingly chose to reject Him. Don't misunderstand me. you not contradicting the doctrines of grace. I believe firmly that you and I are saved by God's electing sovereign, majestic, powerful grace. So we are effectually called unto Him. But those that are still undone, they have willingly rejected Him and will have nothing to bring before God on the judgment day. He said, Well, how this morning? Can I avoid forfeiting my soul? How can I avoid it? This is the eternal decision. And what Jesus is doing today, and what Jesus is doing right now, is setting before you here today, and those that are listening, He is setting before you life and death. And He says to you, choose a life that you might live. The whole context of this passage that I read to you in verse 34 through verse number 38 is all about life. You read it in verse number 35. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul or life? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul or life? life again and again. Jesus is stressing the importance of life today. And the question you must ask is, how can I avoid forfeiting my soul? Jesus is addressing that today. How do I acquire this eternal life? Well, he says in verse number 34, whosoever will come after me. The word to come here, uh, or will, has the idea of desires to. Whosoever desires to come after me. And the word whosoever is a wonderful word. It's an open invitation. It's a free offer of the gospel. And you that are listening, and you that are listening by the internet, you are included in whosoever. If you want to come to Christ you can. Whosoever comes to me I will by no means cast out. And we believe in the free offer of the gospel. We call all men to faith and repentance. We call all men to believe the gospel. We call all men to repent. Paul said in the book of Acts chapter uh, number 17 I believe it was that He commandeth all men everywhere to repent. We are to command every man to repent. Spurgeon said this, and I do not know who the elect are. God has not put a divine knee on all of their backs, but I preach the gospel to every creature, believing God will draw those whom He desires to save. And that is our responsibility. We don't wait until we presume that someone is elect. We preach the gospel to everyone, and we trust that God will do His saving work and draw His elect unto Himself. We preach the gospel. Whosoever will come after me, The word to come means to go after, to follow hard after. It includes repentance. If you're going to come after Christ, it means you've got to leave something behind. If you're going to follow after Christ, you've got to leave the world behind you. Is that not what the hymn writer said we sing sometimes? Uh, The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. No turning back. If you go after Jesus, Jesus said, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He has called you to come after Him, to leave the world behind, and to push hard after Him. He offers to you today to come to Him, and to leave the world behind, to repent of your sin. You say, what is repentance? Is a turning away from sin? Whosoever confesseth and forsaketh his sin shall have mercy... The proverb writer said, You must come to him. And then he said in verse 34, Let him deny himself. This word deny is an imperative, it is a command. This is something you must do today. Let him deny himself. Let him forget himself. Let him lose sight of himself. Let him lose sight of their own interests. Do not pretend to be your own doctor. But renounce all your confidence in yourself and your own righteousness and your own strength. You cannot heal yourself. Physician, heal yourself. You can't heal yourself. You need someone to perform the surgery. Salvation is an inside job. It is Christ coming in, opening up the insides, removing the heart of stone and implanting the heart of flesh and giving you a desire and implanting the Holy Spirit. You must come to Him, deny yourself and take up the cross. Conform yourself to the pattern of the crucified Christ. Bring yourself in subjection to the entire will of God and follow Him, follow Him. Today Jesus is calling you today to come. He is calling you today to come to Him. To you who are burdened with the cares of this world and its pleasures. He says, come unto me. Jesus is saying, come to me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. John the Revelator said in the very last book of the Revelation... After he concludes his entire revelation, he says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that saith, and let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Jesus is standing before you today with a cup of water in his hand, and he says to you, Come to me and drink, and you can have life eternal if you would but come to me. And this is what Jesus is saying to you today. Come to me. And I call you today to consider eternal life. To believe the gospel. The gospel is not the great option. No doubt you may have sit in a church. And you heard the preacher say uh, something about just giving your heart to Jesus. You know Jesus never said anything in the gospel about, well I hope you might believe in me. Uh, Just give your heart to me. You know what Jesus did? Jesus gave the Gospel as a command. He said, repent and believe the Gospel. The Gospel is a command. It's not an option. It's not a divine option. It's a divine command. The Gospel is a command. You today are commanded from the Word of God to repent and believe the Gospel. Jesus never asked for a show of hands how many people wanted to be saved. He just said to the person, repent and believe and follow after me. You know how the Puritans knew how a person was converted? I know we can't always believe everything the Puritans say, but they are very helpful at times. The Puritans said, you knew a person was born again. When they no longer just came Sunday morning, but they were coming back to the Sunday evening service. They began attending all the services. There was a change wrought in their life. They were no longer the creature they once used to be. And is that what the Scripture says? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Believe the Gospel. Lay down the arms of rebellion. Lay down your pride. Lay down the earthly goods. Lay down the riches. Lay down the pleasures and fly to Jesus Christ. You know, it amazed me, I knew a young man, he was a couple years older than me, pastored a church in Maine, a Baptist church. He was a pastor there for eight years. He attended an evangelistic meeting in Rockland, Maine, which is on the coast. And the evangelist that was preaching preached a gospel message. And my friend was sitting there saying, well, I already know the gospel. But the more and more he heard the gospel preached the more and the more the Lord began to convict his heart, that he just simply had a head knowledge of Christ, never had a heart knowledge. And he was so under weight of conviction. He said, I know all these truths. I know the truths of the Word of God. He said, but yet I am still undone in my sin. And that man humbled himself in his pride, and he spoke to the pastor and said, I need to be saved. What a glorious thing. That a pastor gave his life to Christ. Isn't it wonderful to have a saved pastor preach to you the Word of God? And this is exactly what happened to that young man. The Lord saved him. He laid down the arms of rebellion, he laid down his pride. I've seen many a person, even I remember being in Louisiana at different evangelistic meetings where there would be people in churches who were members for 50 years that just thought they were saved because they were a member of the church and their name was on the roll and they got baptized by the pastor but had no saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. My friend, we need to hear the gospel. We need to know that we know that we know that we know that we have been blood uh, bought children of God. We need to do as the apostle said make your calling and your election sure. You need to know that you are in Christ. Do not leave this place saying, I hope that one day when I die, I will spend eternity with him, my friend. You have the authority of the Word of God to know that you will spend eternity with him. The Bible said, These things have I written unto you that you may know, not might know or might have a hope-so salvation, but you can know that you have eternal life. He wants you to know that today. The one who bids you come, the one who bids you flee from the wrath that come, now bids you to enter. He bids you enter the straight and narrow gate. Jesus is, as it were, swung open the gates of paradise, and here He stands on this side, and He says to you, He extends the water, He extends the scepter, and He says to you, come to Me, come through the door, and inherit eternal life. Jesus said, I am the door. And any man that enters through me will be saved. There's not ten gates. There's not five gates. There's not two gates. There's only one gate into heaven. There's only one door into heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ. So come to this Savior. There is no other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Today, as I said, the gates of paradise are swung open to you. And you need only enter through this narrow door and find yourself in the narrow way. You say, well, pastor, how do I know I've gone through the door? Because you're on the narrow way. Once you go through the door, you get on the narrow way. and There's no way of climbing back over. You're on the narrow way, there's been a transformation wrought in your life. For what should it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Are you here this morning like that rich man seeking earthly goods? They will fade away one day. But can I remind you that they that lay up riches in heaven, that their riches do not rust and they do not become corrupted? Are you seeking riches today? Riches of this world, in Christ there are the true riches. Are you seeking pleasure today? Can I remind you what the psalmist said, that at His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You want pleasure? You will find it in Jesus Christ. You will find it in the person of Christ at His right hand. There are pleasures, and guess what? They don't last for a mere season. Remember what God said of Moses in the book of Hebrews that he did not enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You see, sin is only pleasurable for a season, but the pleasures of God are forevermore. So, in closing, I would say this there is a strong allurement and attraction for the things of the world, and you and I feel it. The world and the flesh and the devil are ever setting before us the temporal that we may lose sight of the eternal. And it gets easy. It's easy for us to do, to lose sight of the eternal. Sometimes we've been saved for such a long length of time that we begin to lose sight of Christ. We get caught up and we just think that everything's all right because I've been saved, and we lose sight of the eternal. We lose sight of the eternal focus of Christ. Might we be like Jonathan Edwards that said, Lord, stamp eternity upon my eyes. And I we live in the light of eternity every single day. Lord, stamp eternity upon my eyes. And those who follow the world, the flesh, and the devil, and swallow their lies, hook, line, and sinker, do so to the forfeiting of their soul. This is the tragedy of gaining the world and forfeiting eternity. What a terrible situation. And you might be thinking of someone right now you might say, well, pastor, I'm saved, and I know I'm saved by the blood of the Lamb. I know my sins have been washed away, and I'm in Christ, and I've got assurance of it. The pastor, you know, I know someone today who is just like this rich man. They have everything. They have all the wealth of the world, and yet they're still undone in sin. What's my responsibility? Preach to them the gospel. Tell them that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Tell them what would it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul. Pour out your heart's burden before them. Tell them they must come to Jesus. Jesus dealt with a rich man, did he not? This rich man said, I've done everything. And Jesus said, sell all your goods and give them unto the poor. And what did he do? He went away sorrowful because he had much possessions. He was unwilling to forsake The things of this world in order to have Christ. And so that is the message today the tragedy of gaining the world and forfeiting eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Word of God today. We thank you for the truths of the Scriptures. God, we thank you that you have ministered to us the Word of God today. God, I just pray that you would take these truths and drive them deep into our hearts, into our souls. God, how my heart just rejoices each time I hear the gospel. God, how you have saved me. God, how you have redeemed me. God, I was a worm and no man. God, I was a wretch, and yet, God, you saved me. Nothing in me, but God, you condescended in grace and drew me to yourself and wrote my name in the Lamb's book of life. And God, you put a new song in my heart, even praise unto our God we thank You for that marvelous work of redemption that You have wrought in Thy people. God, I pray that if there would even be anyone here today, or anyone that would listen, that would be lost and undone in sin, that would say, I do not know that I am saved, Oh God, would You point them to the Savior? Would You show them that there is a Savior whose ear is not deaf, whose hand is not shortened then it cannot redeem, and can reach down to the lowest pits of hell. And like Hannah said, it can take those that are in the dunghill and bring them out and make them princes unto God. And how, God, we pray that you would do such a work today. God, how we pray for this community once again. Oh, God, bring in sinners to hear the gospel, and that there would be a building of this church. God, you said in your word that I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's no reason to doubt that promise. You gave it to us. So God, we claim that promise for this church. That you would build it. And that God, that you would expand it. And that God, that you would cause this church to break forth on the right hand and on the left to inherit the Gentiles. And that God, that this gospel would cover Columbia like a tent. And that, God, many people would be swept in to the glorious knowledge of Jesus as Savior and Lord. And so, God, we commend the rest of our day unto you. Allow us to depart now with thy blessing. For we ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. We are dismissed.